This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Some of us pump, and some of us slump. Joining me once again is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. You crazy if you think I'm going to walk up some dark alley with a loud orange hat on my head and a whistle. What's up? Not much. Just excited to tear into these movies from our youth. That time of year again. It's a fun time of year. Yeah. Probably, uh, it's it's probably a favorite time of year for both of us, uh, as mm-hmm. far as the podcast goes. I would guess our listeners as well, chock full of nostalgia. Yeah, I would hope so. I assume most of our listeners are in or around our age range, except for mm-hmm. maybe Steve, that movie drone. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Speaking of movie drone, another shout out. Thank you, movie drone. They keep on playing our promo. Swear it's like three times in the past month or two they've played it. I think we we keep well we kind of gave up asking them for their promo. Well, I didn't give up. I did ask him recently. <laughs> <laughs> we did for a while. I think um, they did record one yeah. on one of their episodes. They they did a off the cuff promo and then he cut it. It was he gave it to a couple other podcasts, but not to us. So they, they still need to send us that new one. It's very uh, unprofessional, actually, but if we, we ever could, get it, we'll play it. We could play their old one and listen to some <laughs> more Mark's movie impressions. Yeah, I mean, Mark's movie uh, impressions was a highlight of the show, and then he uh, he refused to do impressions. Gone, but not forgotten. Although they do the what's that film thing, which is kind of like that but uh it's yeah, not he does quiet. some impressions with that yeah he, uh, he doesn't give it his all though <laughs> you hear that mark <laughs> stop being a real mark and commit I, th- I, I think he would agree that he doesn't give it his all <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole point is he didn't want to give it his all anymore <laughs> so he's like i'm just gonna read some some lines and uh, it may or may not be close to what the character sounds like. What's that feel? <laughs> Hashtag WTF. <laughs> well, before we get started, you did get a request from a listener <laughs> to talk about uh, a, just a great experience you had at the local cinema with a new horror film. Is that correct? Yeah, if you want to call it a horror film, I don't, <laughs> I, I guess, technically you could call it that, but... Uh... And it's not even like a bad movie theater experience. It was just a bad movie, period. And I, I've been asked to review it since we're not going to do a recently seen for a little bit. Uh, the worst movie I may have ever seen in my life. Uh, Skinamarink. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I've heard things about it. I don't know how people can like go and watch that movie and not think it sucks. It's it's very uh, 
very dark. It, it all takes place in one house, and it's very dark. And they have this fake film grain over the the the, the picture. And uh, so it's so a little uh, grindhouse esque. Robert Rodriguez Tarantino. No, because uh, their cinematography is better, and you can actually see what's going on. But they kind of put those, you know, those fake filters on it, right? I think it's uh, disrespectful to them to compare <laughs> yeah. anything they've done to Skinamarink. <laughs> I don't know. What about Spy Kids? I never saw any of the Spy Kids. <laughs> I was that. too old. I was too old for Spy Kids. Yeah, but um, yeah. So like, you can't see shit because like, there's no lighting, and they got this like thick ass fake movie. Uh, film grain over the picture and it's basically just like shots at weird angles of like the corner of the room and then like the carpet and then the wall and then the ceiling and then some legos and then like a tv which has uh public domain cartoons playing on it nice and uh, sometimes there will be stuff happening off the camera very infrequently. The audio levels are fucked up. So, like, it's just you hear static just throughout the entire movie. And then uh, sometimes you'll hear people talking off screen and it'll either be like cranked up so high, like, it'll be just be loud as fuck and just like maxing out all the sound levels, or it'll be so quiet they have to put. Uh, subtitles up so you could say, tell what they're saying. Yeah, how much dialogue is in it, would you say? <sighs> Not a whole lot. And it's just like random. Like there's like little kids in there and uh and then there's like a demon or some shit. I don't know. Was... You think they were trying to take a page out of David Lynch's book and kind of kind of make it a little like eraser head? David Lynch yeah. is most... a master filmmaker, yes. I'm just saying like the you know there's some Extended sequences in there. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but you know, with visuals and static, and most of Lynch's work is very surreal and dreamlike. The gist I get from you explaining is like this is like a student film who obsessed over Lynch and just failed miserably at recreating <laughs> it. So I don't know what what I've gathered is this is basically just like a amalgamation of Reddit uh, creepy pastas. Mm. And those old like YouTube clips where it'd be like, uh, you know, watch real close to see what happens and nothing happens. And then it uh, just like flashes something on the screen and like blares loud sounds at you, like the demon or whatever. Sure. And uh, I don't know, like the positive reviews I've read of, uh, about it are like, oh my God, this is just like my nightmares as a child. And it's like, you must have had some boring-ass dreams as a kid because this wasn't scary at all. It's dumb. It's boring. Like, nothing happens. It's so boring. And it's so frustrating to sit through. What was the reaction like in the theater? Uh, Four people walked out. (laughs) It was a a small screen, so there's maybe 15 to 20 people there at the most. Four people walked out in the middle. Yeah, not much uh, chatter going on. It just ends. Uh, there's no end credit sequence. It just says the end, and then it goes to black, and that's it. Mm. And uh, like I, I don't think people knew what to think about it. I, I what I uh, 
kind of gathered it was uh it was a really bad movie and nobody liked it. <laughs> like why did i sit through this this sucked <laughs> so um the pitfalls it, of an a-list member and if you're why well, was trappings. like i was excited about it because i'm like oh man this uh this new indie horror i guess it's indie horror but uh and they got some buzz on twitter and shit and like this kind of stuff doesn't play in theaters much, so you know it's kind of cool to get something different. And it was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so what would you rate it? <laughs> oh, it's it's a WTM never, never. Of all the movies I've rated WTM never, like I almost feel like I should bump them up to a last resort because at least they look like they're made by professional filmmakers. Yeah, Skinamarinka looked like the most amateur, just like bullshit I've ever seen. Like it, it doesn't even look like a professional film. Mm-hmm. All right, well, transitioning from uh, amateur filmmaking to masterful filmmaking, dare I say, with Wolfgang Peterson in the 1984 film The Neverending Story. We were kicking off movies from our youth. We're going to be doing Neverending Story today, followed by. Space Invaders next. Spaced Invaders. I said spaced. Maybe I just oh, I didn't, didn't enunciate I, enough you for didn't, you. Uh, you didn't enunciate the D. I, I didn't catch mm. it. Spaced Invaders. Uh, after that, we're going to be doing Undercover Blues. And then we're going to wrap it up with The Sandlot. And we might even have a very special guest for The Sandlot. A local special guest. Yes. Let's start with uh, the first time we saw it, what we thought of it then, what we think of it now. Uh, when did you first see this, Brett? I, I honestly don't remember. Um, it wasn't when I was real young. I, I want to say maybe junior high or high school, maybe. It wasn't like I, I'm pretty sure I was aware of it and I knew of it, but it wasn't like uh, something that people that I went to school with were like, oh, you got to go watch this movie. You got to see this movie. It was, uh, obviously it came out a little early in 1984. So it'd been around for a long time. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch it till later. I watched it again a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago now. And, um, yeah, so this is my third time watching it. It's, uh, I think it's a pretty good movie. Although, uh, you know, the more we we dig into it, uh, we'll we'll probably find a few uh, blemishes along the way. But I, I think overall, it's a very entertaining movie. Yeah, I saw this at a very young age. I think we had it recorded off of television. Uh, so I watched this a lot from about ages, I'd say, four through six or seven. Because I think we accidentally recorded over it with something in the early 90s. So I, I watched it a lot over a number of couple over a couple of years and then didn't see it again until, uh, well, we did show it as a midnight at the theater a couple of times over the past uh, 10 years or so. Uh, and then I did buy it on DVD and then I rebought it on Blu ray. Because the DVD was a it was a two pack with the sequel, uh, part two. I've never seen part three. I don't think. I, yeah, remember... I didn't know there. I didn't know there was a part three until I looked at it on uh, 
the first one on Letterboxd, and I saw like, oh, followed by part two and part three. Like, what? Yeah, part three. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember also seeing two, although I remember almost nothing from two. Uh, and the the two pack I have, I've been actually dreading watching it because they're both in full frame. Oh yeah, which is why I rebought the first one on Blu-ray. I think I saw it at it's that cheapo or half price books or something for pretty cheap. So pick that up. So yeah, watching it again, I think it holds up pretty well. Although I'd be curious to see what today's children's audience would think of it, because it's it's a very adult, a very mature movie for for a kids movie. Yeah, even though it stars kids and uh has the puppetry and stuff like that it's it's very different than the kids movies of today yeah yeah i'm definitely going to show my son this movie but i don't know how he's going to react see i've been kind of you know planning out his viewing for the next 18 years (laughs) but you know i i really want him to i mean i'm sure he'll have to see some contemporary cartoons and children's programming but you know i want to start them on Looney Tunes and things like that. So, I mean, I've already actually had them watch some Looney Tunes with me on HBO Max, but... You better buy the DVDs of Looney Tunes because HBO (laughs) Max got rid of half of the fucking library. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you buy physical media, people. Stupid. Stupid. (laughs) See, I guess uh, getting back to the movie, I guess I I don't want to say necessarily that it's slow, but... There's not a lot of action. No. It's, it's basically going from one location, talking to a character, and then moving <laughs> on to the next location, talking to another character, <laughs> and eventually finding out what you actually have to do to uh, finish the quest. Which seems like the exact opposite of what he was told by that uh, dude at the beginning. Like, you cannot ask for advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's all he does the rest of the movie is walk around asking advice where well, can I, I find I, this person where can I... I I don't mean to cut you off but I do, I do want to before I forget I did want to mention that this is one of several movies of this era that are secretly promoting reading or other learning of some kind and uh, with like uh, The Princess Bride is kind of like that or yep. Yeah. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is kind of like a uh, sure a history lesson, you know, uh, secretly uh, made into a yeah. comedy movie, and um, it was funny to me. Like, you know, like the whole moral is like if you read a book, you know, it unleashes your imagination and look all the adventures you can have. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, or I could just watch the movie that you made for me, and I don't have to read. <laughs> want none of that fancy book learning like, i don't know what you're trying to get me to do but i'd rather just watch the movie i mean i'm already here watching it <laughs> sorry we can uh get into the details i think as i said directed by wolfgang peterson written by wolfgang peterson he helped with the screenplay along with herman weigel uh, michael endy did the novel and does not care much for the movie or the entire process. He was excited at first, but uh, I think he undersold 
his story a little bit. I believe he sold it for $50,000. Went on to become a pretty big hit. Spawned all the sequels and when he gave up the rights to something like that for only 50000 then uh, yeah. yeah, you're going to be a bit salty about it, especially since they changed a lot. Uh, so the first never-ending story is based off of the first half of the book. I guess the second half of the book is the basis for part two, although that's even less accurate to the book. But uh, they especially changed the ending because they were like, oh, we don't, it doesn't really have an ending. We don't know how to end it because it was yeah. only half of the book. Yeah, I've never read the book, but I mean, he uh, obviously didn't have much faith in his source material if he's only asking for 50 grand. Yeah. They asked for some points or, you know, some uh, royalties on the the box office or the home video or something. Well, you know, this is a, a German writer. He probably just didn't know what he had, boy. This was the most expensive production up until this time for a, a film outside of the Soviet Union or the U.S. I think the budget was $27 million, something like that. And it made around $100 million. So for a German production to do something like that, I'm you know guessing they you know they hired the writer right out of their own backyard and fifty thousand is probably a lot to yeah. uh, a German uh, writer back then. He's on the the right side of the wall back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was only half of Germany at that point. Mm-hmm. When did the Berlin Wall fall? Was that eighty seven or eighty nine? I want to say 89, 88 or 89, because uh, Reagan was still there. Yeah. Tear down this wall. <laughs> you know, he said that. And then and then uh, David Hasselhoff performed on top of the wall as they were breaking it down. <laughs> I don't know if I ever do that. That's funny. That's another uh, thing they used to show on VH1 all the time. Was they go the Berlin Wall came out and David Hasselhoff performed on top of it. <laughs> it was just confirms my theory that Germans love David Hasselhoff. <laughs> oh man, rest in peace, Norm. It's true though. Like he was huge in Germany. Mm-hmm. Now was he? He was a recording artist first. Or last, I don't think so I think I think he did Night Rider first, and then he kind of did music on the side. Okay, because his music only sold overseas. Like I don't think he did uh, anything on the charts in the U.S. Yeah, I think that about does it for the writing segment. Uh, I guess Robert Easton did additional dialogue, but uh, for the cast, we have Noah Hathaway as Atreyu. Baird Oliver plays Bastion, main character. Tammy Stronich, or Stronich was the childlike empress. The childlike empress. Mm-hmm. Remember that. She's a childlike. <laughs> She's like that uh, the girl that was in the uh, New York Post uh, recently that looks like she's eight years old, but she's dating a guy who's <laughs> like six foot five. Yeah. <laughs> That influencer, who I'm sure is not using her celebrity in any way, shape, or form to further <laughs> his own career. That's ah, yeah. ah, that's ah, mm. ah, ah, that's ah, ah. Just a fucking creep. I mean, hey, I I realize that this girl, this young woman, rather, deserves to have uh, her own life and 
her own relationships, but I don't know. I cannot sanction this. <laughs> it does look very strange. Uh, Gerald McRaney plays Bastien's father. Chris Eastman was the first bully. Gerald Cooksey was the second. And Nicholas Gilbert was the third. Chris Eastman credited as Drum Garrett. Mm. Drum, Drum Garrett. Garrett. What mm. a stupid stage name. <laughs> Uh, Thomas Hill was Carl Conrad Coriander. And uh, your boy Deep Roy was Teeny Weenie. Yeah, Deep Roy. Just saw him in uh, Alien from L.A. recently. Okay. I will say Noah Hathaway, the guy who plays the Treyu. I recently watched the movie Troll. He uh, he is in that movie as well as Harry mm. Potter Jr. <laughs> <laughs> who played Harry Potter Sr.? Uh, Michael Moriarty. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. As soon as I saw, like, okay, you described Deep Roy to me during the last recently seen episode, and I was still like, didn't really know who he was. But seeing his picture here, I immediately thought of Eastbound and Down. I just remember him from season two. Say, like, oh, that's Deep Roy. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, I forgot he was on there, but like, I always remember he was in that Willy Wonka remake with Johnny Depp because he played all of the Oompa Loompas. Mm-hmm. They basically just like recorded him and then like digitally duplicated him throughout. Like, yeah, we were all doing the same thing in every scene. I just saw that when it came out and quickly forgot it. But it's got that that uh, flashback to Willy Wonka's dad being a dentist and not allowing him to eat chocolate. (laughs) Very important. It's it's you know so important. Now they're going to do a uh, a full-blown prequel so we can get even more of that backstory. Because, you know, like Rob Zombie said with the monsters, like, if you don't know the backstory, you can't follow along. <laughs> I'm lost. <laughs> like, why is this guy running a chocolate factory? <laughs> I must know. <laughs> it's a burning question. <laughs> like, nobody, nobody has ever asked that in the history of the world. <laughs> It's like asking why do candy factories exist? But like with the monsters, it's like I don't understand the monsters. They're monsters, but they live in regular society. How did they get there? I must I can't figure out what's going on unless I know the backstory. Tilo Pruckner was Nighthob. Moses Gunn was Chiron. He was a guy that was floating across the bottom of the screen. <laughs> it's spelled differently. Sydney Bromley is Angie uh, Wook, and Patricia Hayes as Urgle. Synopsis: A troubled boy dives into a wondrous fantasy world through the pages of a mysterious book. The film starts out with just a banger of a song. Yeah, from uh, Lamal, I guess. You know, Lamal. He was in the band Kajagugu. Hmm. They would have joined him on the theme song to this movie, but they were too shy shy see i don't (laughs) i never really knew like i know the song but i don't think i ever heard that name kajagugu or lamal yeah i i again i watching a ton of vh1 back in the (laughs) early 2000s like they do like the 100 greatest one-hit wonders and i'm just like 
it would, they would replay it and like I, there would be nothing else on so i just re watch the replays all the time you must because uh, i'm i'm so impressed weekly you know when we record even not even when we record i'll talk to you at work and you'll have some crazy pop culture knowledge nuggets and i'm like where the fuck how did how do you know that he goes oh i was on vh1 <laughs> i love the 80s you know <laughs> you know i don't even know if all this stuff is from there but i'm just gonna credit them for it because most of it is <laughs> like they had it was like the whole time i was in like junior high and high school like the entire uh programming on vh1 was like top 100 shows and i love the 80s i love the 90s i love the 70s and like it was just like panel shows of people talking about stuff you know that happened over the last like you know 40 or 50 years in pop culture right and uh it was just like great for learning that stuff and uh yeah kajagoogoo definitely learned about them from vh1 <laughs> but you probably watched that episode 20 years ago and you remember it yeah <laughs> like i said i probably rewatched all that stuff i don't know how many times because it was just beyond all the time and like I would just and you didn't have any other channels other than VH1. Well, if it, it, it was <laughs> it was probably an instance where like we had you know sixty channels or whatever at the time, and uh, there was nothing else to watch on a yeah you know like a, a Wednesday afternoon after school, you know, or a Saturday morning, you know. Sure, I'm su I'm surprised your mom even allowed VH1 in her household. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that one was kind of eased in as we got older. MTV was always on the banned list. Mm. So we'd have to watch that when uh, the parents were away. Carried the devil's music, I'm sure. Although I wasn't, uh, like, we weren't allowed to listen to, like, new music when I was really young. So, like, I started with the oldies and then kind of progressed through classic rock and stuff. Yeah. Which I, I've come to appreciate because it gives me a better <laughs> base of music taste. Than if I had just been listening to like '90s pop the entire right. time. Uh, all right. So yeah, I I love that song. Um, it was the thing I remembered most about this movie was that banger of a song, and I can't believe I haven't I hadn't bought it yet, or listened to it basically since I saw the movie last. Because when we were gonna record this episode, I immediately uh, went on to iTunes and bought a couple tracks off of the soundtrack because it's a great score too. Uh, Giorgio Moroder. Yeah. yeah. Apparently the Germans didn't get any Giorgio Moroder music on their version of it. Like looking at the alternate versions on IMDb, like the, the German language version is slightly longer and there's, there's stuff that they cut down or cut out for the American version. But it also says that like, there's no Lamal theme song. Mm. The opening credits is just like a black screen with white type. Hard pass. And uh, there's no Giorgio, Giorgio Moroder score. They used uh, a different guy who I, I think still got credited for the music on the, the American version. But you you could kind of tell which which parts of the music were done by Moroder. Because he's uh, got what, a pretty distinct sound. Yeah. What other uh, scores did he do in the 80s? The Warriors, for sure, and also Scarface, um, mm, yeah. are the ones that I remember the right. most. 
but like he was kind of the, one of the first to do more of a uh, the the synth rock mm-hmm. um, musical score for movies. So he's, he's got like I said a pretty distinct sound, so you can usually kind of tell when it's him. The Lamal songs very synth, very new wave eighties. Dare I say it's my favorite? I don't know movie song. I I was trying to think of it in my head. I don't know how many like movie theme songs I could think of, like a title song outside of the James Bond films, which the vast majority of them have title songs. Yeah. But I'm trying to think if I'm just thinking about children's movies, which ones had their own theme songs? Can you think of any right off the bat? Oh man. I I think a lot of them did, but I just can't think of them now. Yeah. That was kind of a, a that was kind of a, a common thing for a while where, they would just make a theme song for the movie, and then that would be like a big hit alongside it, right? And they kind of stopped that in the nineties or two thousands. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was it was more common on TV shows, but true you know, kids TV shows, but still, you need a song that explains everything that happens in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so what next? We get uh, the Lamal song and then uh, Basting Awakes from some dream he's having, probably. He's dreaming about his mom. His his dead mom. Of course, this is after he can't open the jelly because he's so fucking weak. (laughs) No wonder you get bullied. (laughs) Do you notice what his dad was making for breakfast? Yeah, he cracked an egg and some orange juice, which I don't think I've seen. And he blended them. He put them in the yeah. blender. Raw eggs and orange juice in the blender, and then he drank it <laughs> straight. You know, I've seen raw eggs, you know, Rocky, of course, and a hundred other films, but I don't think I've seen it mixed with orange juice. No. In blender. <laughs> that was new to me. <laughs> I've seen it mixed with beer. Yeah. Paul Newman does it in the beginning of The Verdict because he's an alky lawyer. That's kind of like, like he starts his day at the bar. Like he he goes there, he grabs a beer, and I think he cracks an egg or two into the beer and just chugs them. <laughs> I feel like that's a really Irish thing to do. Yeah, that may be true. Actually, talking about this now, uh, it reminds me in the the movie Samaritan, which came out last year, stars Sylvester Stallone. There's a scene where he's eating Honey Nuts Cheerios and he pours apple juice on it. Mm. And they're like, there's no, it's just like the most normal thing in the world. Like, like there's no, they don't draw attention to it or anything. He's just sitting watching TV, putting apple juice on his uh, honey nut Cheerios, but he never actually eats them. Mm. Like he, he's about to take a bite and then something on the TV like gets his attention. And he, like they, he's got to leave right away and they cut before he actually eats it. But like. It was a, a very strange thing for me. Like, I've never seen anybody put <laughs> apple juice on their cereal. Yeah, I've never heard of that, but I just heard it now, and I'm thinking, why the hell have I not tried that before? That sounds good. <laughs> so I, I guess you gotta you got to put some orange juice and eggs in the blender <laughs> and then have some Honey Nut Cheerios with apple juice on them. The breakfast of champions. So yeah, the, the dad has a little talk with his son Bastion about getting the job done can't be worrying about your dead mother you gotta get the old job done right can't let mom's death be an excuse for not getting the old job done <laughs> i know there's no they, 
they don't explain like when his mom died, but he's pretty young. Yeah. And it seems like it happened pretty recently. How old do you think he is? Eight, nine? Yeah. Yeah. Around that. Yeah. They never go into how she died or when, but it seems pretty recent. But uh, yeah, it seems as though he's fallen behind in his schoolwork, specifically math class. Yeah, he's been drawing unicorns in math, not doing his homework. He didn't try out for the swim team, and he wants riding lessons, but he won't get on a horse. It's as if his head is stuck in the clouds. He needs to stop daydreaming. Keep his feet on the ground. But I can't, Keep my feet on the ground! (laughs) Which will be very important later on. Called foreshadowing, <laughs> and then from there uh, we uh, we see Bastion suffering the consequences of being a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is a uh, uh, bullied by these uh, three, well, two kids and one little white supremacist. You know, he's got a he's got the Confederate flag on his on his backpack. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Stitched in. What's funny is like they're in Canada too, you know. Yeah. Well, you don't know that it's it's an unnamed city. It's it's unnamed yeah. city. I mean, the whole production it was mostly filmed in Germany, but those outdoor scenes were in Vancouver, and uh, that's because I mentioned that on a recently seen uh, last fall when I saw Life After the Navigator about Joey Kramer, the young child star of Flight of the Navigator, and all the troubles he went through. With drugs and crime, but he had talked about how he was an extra in the never ending story because it was he grew up in Vancouver, kind of got a start there. And he said he was one of the bullies uh, at the end. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not any of the three in this scene because all three of them have lines, well, and they're the same three at the end, too. Like, is there there's not an extra guy at the end, is there? There's not, but there is some scenes where, or there's some shots where. You know, Falcor's flying down and they dive out of the way. One of one kid dives into the garbage or like uh, not into the dumpster, but the garbage kind of next to it. Oh, and that shot is only from behind and watching it. It kind of does look like it could be somebody different. And that's all he said he did. He said he uh, dove into the garbage. Uh, (laughs) So it's like a just some stunt casting extra work. I guess he did at a young age. So that's supposedly it's not listed on IMDb, but he says that's him. He has no reason to lie. But um, he is a drug abuser, <laughs> a bank robber. They're they're known to to lie from time to time. Yeah, but he's on the mend. It's been uh, at least by the when the documentary came out, which is I think it's a 2021 documentary, if I remember. He had been sober for I'd say 18 months as. I think I heard read an article I think about him more recently. So I think he's stayed clean for that's probably two, three years now. So good for him. And seems like he's starting to get his um, act back together with um, you know, getting back in the movie business and into show business, I guess. So good for him. Yeah, hopefully he makes a full recovery. Let's get a <laughs> get a sequel to Flight of the Navigator. That'd be fun. I, I've never seen it. Mm. That's a stay tuned. That's probably next year. I'll pick that one. So I didn't, I didn't watch a ton of 80s movies as a kid because I don't know. Like I was born in 87, obviously, so didn't have much uh 
beyond some of the more bigger ones like Ghostbusters and things like that. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, a lot of those movies, especially like this one from 84, you know, they're on TV by 85, 86. They didn't yeah. kind of record them easily. It was, you know, I had older brothers. So did you. Yeah. I, so I think like they recorded before. it and then yeah. I would watch it. <laughs> yeah. Your brothers are, are a little bit older than my brothers compared to me. Like my brother's only like two years older than me, but your brothers are like three a and little six bit older than that. Yeah. Years older. So, so there's a little more of a gap where you you probably tag along with stuff that they're watching, whereas me and my brother were close enough in age where we were kind of watching the same stuff at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, they uh, they want his money. He doesn't have it, so they throw him in the dumpster. He has the gall to get out of the dumpster. <laughs> Who told you you could get out of the dumpster? Get back in there. <laughs> They're chasing him again, and he runs into a bookstore, which was a, how do I describe it? A uh, Which was a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> the bookstore owner pretends like he doesn't like kids, but uh, I think it's just a cover, because I think he really likes kids. <laughs> yeah, sure seemed that way. That's <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I think it's reverse psychology. That's that's just the vibes I get from it. And I think we have a clip for it, but uh, just the way he uh, he talks to Bastion. <laughs> so when Bastion, uh, you know, says, I, I read books, the guy he perks up. He's like, oh, oh, really? Why don't you come here? Let's talk about it. You're hiding, aren't you? No, I was just... The video arcade is down the street. Here we just sell small rectangular objects. They're called books. They require a little effort on your part and make no beep, 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 beeps. On your way, please. I know books. I have 186 of them at home. Ah, comic books. No, I've read Treasure Island, The Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea, Tarzan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you running away from? Kids from school. Why? They want to throw me in the garbage. Why don't you give them a good punch in the nose? Hmm? Well, I don't know. What's that book about? Oh, this is something special. Don't worry about it. 
But it is for him. <laughs> Do you think uh, anybody's ever done a like a edit of that clip where like they do the whole back and forth? Your books are safe. Don't worry about it. this one's not for you. And then they cut, and instead of being the never-ending story, it's like a penthouse or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the never-ending story, but it's you know it's got the penthouse on the inside. I never yeah. thought this was real. Like they used to do in 80s movies where they're sitting in class and they got the history books open, but there's a Playboy in the inside yeah. they're actually reading. Yeah. <laughs> this is not for you. Your books are safe. But he's kind of a pedo, so it is for him. That's what he, he wants them to find it. He wants them to find it and, and think it like he found it himself. That's what I'm thinking. Like it's it's secretly just like some Something that's totally inappropriate for kids, just like pornographic <laughs> stuff. And I was surprised he's, he's a fan of voyeurism. He's staring at him through the window, waiting for him to pick up the book. I was surprised he didn't give him ice cream and ask him if he wanted to take his shirt off and take some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later we could visit my friend who owns the bike shop down the street. <laughs> Is that uh, was that different strokes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well this would have been right in that heyday of the kind of the 80s tv shows psas the very special episode yeah the the message episodes yeah about <laughs> racism and you know child predators and drugs yeah like the after school special but on prime time sitcoms but in in a real tv show <laughs> yeah that people actually enjoyed They'd have to come on beforehand and say, this is a very special episode. We deal with some some subject matter that may be, you know, difficult to watch. If, you, if any of this happens, tell your parents. I think Punky Brewster did one on the uh, Challenger blowing up. Yeah. <laughs> Punky Brewster goes to class and they're all excited because they're going to watch that teacher shoot up into space with the Challenger and it blows up in front of all the kids. <laughs> Yeah, I never watched that show, but that sounds familiar. I'm trying to think of some other specific ones, but yeah, the, I'm getting bike shop owner from uh, different strokes vibes <laughs> off of this guy. <laughs> like he's he's too nice. Like he's 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 acting too nice, and also like using the reverse psychology. Like you don't want this book. Don't take this book. So when he's a bit curmudgeonly earlier, you think that's just a facade, huh? I think so. Actually, he'd probably be uh, a good fit to be a public school teacher this day and age. It's how he weeds out the narcs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, the kid narcs. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to tell your dad about this, are you? <laughs> this is our little secret. <laughs> but yeah, Bastion takes his book. He leaves us a uh, note saying he'll bring it back. Mm-hmm. Heads over to uh, the school. He's late for his math class, so he says, fuck it. And he just goes he goes up to the school attic, which is like the one of the least realistic things in this movie. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a, a school in America that had a fucking attic. 
Yeah, I can't remember if they showed a uh, an exterior shot of the school or not, but like I can't imagine what it looks like from the outside because like even if there is an attic attic in the school, like this attic in the in this movie is just like it's got like vaulted ceilings. Mm-hmm. It's just like massive, like it's huge, and they have like I don't know, they have like a skeleton up there and a chalkboard and some other stuff. And it's it was very unrealistic. There's like a full size window, like multiple yeah. full size windows. It's Victorian architecture, basically, and it's like no, every American school is just a big, big box, big rectangle. Yeah, and an attic, it had a flat roof. You know, no vaulted ceilings. No, no. And it's uh, and it definitely didn't have a key to the attic right next to it, behind glass. Why? Why the fuck would you need? Like the case of emergency break glass. In case case there's a fire and you need to run up to the attic to hide or what? But the glass (laughs) is already broken. Like what? Like why? Why even bother locking the thing? It's like you can't escape a fire by going to the attic. You can't escape a tornado. You can't can't escape anything by going up to the attic. So I don't know why they need to keep it. Maybe a hurricane or a flood or something. Yeah, but I would still. Well, I mean, I guess if it was a hurricane and. It flooded, I guess. Yeah, if you're in the basement, maybe you wouldn't want to be there. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. They, I mean, I can see why they would lock it, but why would, would they have the key right there? there. What is and, the point? It the only, defeats the purpose. The only time you can open it is if you break the glass. <laughs> <laughs> but like the glass is already broken, so like literally yeah. anybody could just grab the key and unlock it. Janitor's like, got to put some shit away, like everything that's. I don't know everything that was used in the fall. Like, oh, we'll put it away till next fall. We'll put it up in the attic. And so I better break the glass here, <laughs> and then call the glass people to come in and fix it. Yeah, stupid. So stupid. I don't know who thought that up, but it was, uh... <laughs> like, I I would buy having a basement in a school. Although even that's kind of rare. Um, yeah, they gotta put the boiler room somewhere. But the uh, the attic. I guess it's it's necessary because you got to have the the big windows so you can shout the name out it and like see the lightning and thunder and you can't really do that in a basement but uh, especially a 1980s basement yeah no egress windows in the <laughs> 80s so but he's uh he pulls out some blankets and shit and like they're all just like covered in dust like they're the most disgusting <laughs> thing ever and he just like lays right in it <laughs> this is gross man. On the floor, on the dusty wooden floor. And it's the most exciting part of the movie because now we can watch him read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) So yeah, I think we get uh, right into the story, the never-ending story. And we're introduced to a bunch of fantastical characters that we basically don't hear from again (laughs) for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Which is weird. Except for one. We we hear from yeah. one of them again. But uh yeah. So there's a some sort of a pig slash bat creature. There's the uh, Deep Roy plays the teeny weenie, which just lo- he just looks like the mad hatter. Yeah. He's got the top hat. And then they dub a... his voice. They they dub all yeah. their voices. Yeah. <laughs> uh who, who um Night Hob. The... The night hob. He he's with the giant bat. Yeah, I don't know what you how you describe night hob. 
so a, a creature. I don't know what a, you. I don't what know. He's, what he looks he's similar a, to. He's a hob. I guess. <laughs> I guess if you look at him, you're like, oh, I guess that's an apt description, night hob. And then uh, teeny weeny, he is a uh, racing snail. Yeah. But like all the puppetry is fantastic like the snail yeah. and the bat and the, the rock biter and his giant tricycle or whatever and yeah, they all look fantastic a, suddenly there's a terrible noise and it's very loud and it was only getting louder and that's the rock biter steamrolling his way through the forest <laughs> uh, or Let's the see. rock cannibal should i say just a yeah. big rock that eats other rocks he seems kind of dumb like uh like he seems like he's got rocks in his head <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely and which is also weird that i think uh teeny weeny uh old night hob is like i think he's a rock biter which is <laughs> like the most obvious <laughs> thing i guess but like i think he is and uh teeny weeny goes a rock biter like he yeah. heard the name but probably never seen one and he was scared shitless and then we don't they don't explain why not like, you know, maybe the rock biters had a ethnic cleansing of the teeny weenies and we didn't know about it or something, but like we're they all seem like, to be from different regions of Fantasia. Yeah. Like there doesn't seem to be a lot of interaction between them other than now that they're all in danger of the nothing, which uh, we have a clip, I believe, which will explain it more in detail, but. Yeah, it seems weird that they'd be so scared of these rock biters uh, without having any interaction with them. I guess you know maybe there's stories and stuff. You know, you you know how it goes. <laughs> you know, you hear about those people and things of that nature. <laughs> uh, here is the rock biter. Where, where, where I come from in the north, we used to have exquisite gourmet rocks. Only now. Now, they're all gone. I know how it happened. <laughs> I, I swear it wasn't me. <laughs> no, I think I know what it was. Tell us more. Near my home, there used to be a beautiful lake. But then, then it, it was gone. Did the lake dry up? No. It just wasn't there anymore. Nothing was there anymore. Not even a dried up lake. A hole? A hole would be something. No, it was nothing. And it got bigger and bigger. First, there was no lake anymore. And then finally, no rocks. Soon there won't be any rocks here either. Nighthawk, this could be serious. Rockbiter, what you have told us is also happening where I live in the West. A strange sort of nothing is destroying everything. Yes, we Nighthawks live in the South, and it's there too. So, it's, it's not just in our part of Fantasia? Maybe. It's already everywhere. Maybe our whole land is in danger. 
What can we do? My people are sending me to the ivory tower, to the Empress, for help. We are the same. We are on the same mission. After all, if the Empress can't save us, who could? Then why are we all just sitting around here? Instead of taking off for the ivory tower. Right! What are we waiting for? Yes, yes. Let's go now. Yeah, they just all seem to forget what they're doing. Oh yeah, we were <laughs> we were gonna go to the Ivory Tower and uh, figure out this problem. Yeah, it seemed like they're just sitting there and taking a rest for the the night, maybe. And then the Rockbiter shows up and like, oh, we better go immediately, right now. Mm-hmm. Let's wake up the bat and the snail. Now, whoever dubbed Teeny Weeny, I feel like I know him. I know that voice. I was trying to figure it out here, which reminds me, we forgot to mention that Alan Oppenheimer was the voice of Rockbiter, Falcor, Gamork, the narrator, all in the English version, of course. Yep. But uh, it doesn't list, you know, Teeny Weeny there. I'm trying to find, because uh, I see Fra- a Frank Franklin. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I believe that was the German, because if you look at his filmography, it's basically all German shows. The Mundbar. Interesting. So, like he, there's some Lion King stuff, but I think he just did uh, German versions of certain things. All the older filmography is German shows. So, I wonder who Teeny Winnie's voice was. It's not Alan Oppenheimer. You forgot to mention that Lamal actually has an uncredited appearance in the cast the first balladeer yeah what the hell was the first balladeer yeah i wasn't sure I, I it's probably you know they have a they go to the ivory tower and there's a gathering of people there i mm-hmm. think that's he must have just been one in the crowd and wolfgang peterson himself plays man who drops milk that what i don't remember that? yeah i don't, I don't remember don't... that one at all maybe that but, was in the german version that seems like something that they could cut out Maybe the first Balladeer is in the German version too. Although I'm pretty sure it's in the credits for. Oh no, it was uncredited, so it won't be. Yeah, I say it was in the credits for this one, the American one. But no. Yeah, I don't know who did the voice for Teeny Weenie because it wasn't Deep Roy for sure. It's definitely not Deep Roy's voice. All right. Well, yeah, as you said, they they head off to the Ivory Tower. Kind of a flying sequence, and they all get there pretty quickly. Chiron is the master of ceremonies there at this meeting. Uh, he's the Empress's uh, doctor. The, child, the childlike Empress's. <laughs> uh, yeah, he talks about, you know, I think all of you are here. Actually, is that the next clip? I think so. He's, he's like her valet or something like that. Valet? I've heard it both ways. Have you? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard valet. I think the British. I think the British say valet. Of course they do. Have you ever seen Archer, the TV show Archer? Uh, no. He's got a valet mm. in in that show. Steve, Mark, let us know. Do you say valet? They pronounce everything terrible, just like their food. <laughs> what was that? Um, Patrick Stewart had a show on Showtime or Stars a couple years back where he had a valet. 
I can't remember what it's called now. It was a pretty good show, actually. Yeah, actually, they always call it, he's like, he's my man. This <laughs> <laughs> is a very strange thing to have. You just have a guy who just like lives with you and like just like does stuff for you. Now, a valet was what they used to call the female wrestling managers because the, the, the male managers were managers. The women that would accompany the the men to the ring were valets. Really, I don't know why. That was just the terminology. Mm. All right. Well, let's let's hear from Chiron. Friends, I know why you are all here. The nothing is destroying our world. I also know that you have come to beseech the Empress for help. But I, I have terrible news. The Empress herself has become deathly ill. There seems to be a mysterious link between her illness and the nothing. She's dying. So she cannot save us. But there just might be one chance. The plains people who hunt the purple buffalo have among them a great warrior. He alone has a chance to fight the nothing and save us. He is our only hope. His name is Atreyu. Damn straight it is. Atreyu's a badass name. Shitty mid-2000s new metal bands will take <laughs> his name. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> they love this movie. Atreyu. But he's just a boy. With his trusty horse Artax. Yes. I was gonna mention, you know, they went to the Ivory Tower. You know who is not impressed with the Ivory Tower? Gene Siskel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh that Siskel and Ebert episode was pretty funny. He was uh not a fan. He said it was a uh Spielberg wannabe German <laughs> production. Yeah. He did not like the special effects, thought they were terrible. And Ebert but, thought basically the exact opposite of everything Siskel said. He thought uh, the ivory tower was underwhelming, not impressive. He thought that uh, Falcor looks like a stuffed animal you win at the carnival, and it falls apart by the time you get it to your car. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to disagree with Siskel because uh, yeah. I thought the special effects were fantastic. You know, I think it's, uh, especially more recently, I think it's been in vogue to uh, agree more with Siskel and kind of condemn everything Ebert says. <clears throat> and I don't know. I got to agree with Ebert on this one. They're both wrong a lot. It's, it's hard <laughs> yeah. It's hard to agree with either of them. Like, begrudgingly, you might say, oh, it's a good point that, yeah. uh, that one or the other made. But, they're yeah, they're both wrong quite a bit. And I kind of grew up watching their show too. 
all the way until, you know, the mid nineties. And, uh, I haven't watched all that many, um, uh, clips from their show, but I did watch this one. I mean, I've, I watched maybe one or two a year probably, but yeah, I was getting into entertainment, them, but at, at one point last year, I was getting into watching them pretty regularly on YouTube. Like they, there's a lot of full episodes out there, but yeah. then it's like a lot of the movies I haven't seen yet or I want to see, and I don't want to hear what they have to say about it till after I see it. And yeah, the ones I do, I have seen, like I kept disagreeing with what they have to say. It was just pissing me off. Like this is, I can't watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not impressed with the ivory tower. Who's small. It didn't look impressive at all. Yeah, usually Ebert's uh, the one that's more full of himself and up his own ass, but certainly certainly seemed like Siskel in this instance. Siskel, he he really likes like old time like Hollywood type movies and musicals and stuff like that but like anything that's like more cutting edge or newer he just like oh, i can't do it it sucks <laughs> <laughs> like seriously like anything that's more like modern he just like shits on it like every time which is funny because like looking back and seeing stuff like that would go on to be like an all-time classic and just like have really lasting appeal and seeing him like take uh, you know pot shots at like different aspects of it, I was like, "You were so wrong on that one." <laughs> like, not uh, you were not right. So, but yeah, Ebert had a lot of misses as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wrote he wrote uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So. Sure did. He can say whatever he wants, I guess, because he he knows what a shitty movie looks like. Yeah, he looks down at everyone else that calls certain things smut and things like that. It's just like, are are you fucking serious? (laughs) You made a a titty flick. I mean, that's... uh... You wrote a Russ Meyer film. (laughs) Anywho, uh, Atreyu jumps on his trusty horse Artax after uh, everyone's kind of taken aback like what a fucking kid <laughs> yeah and he's got the Oren with him let's not forget that because he who wears the Oren speaks for the empress mm-hmm. or there's a little medallion it's two snakes kind of eating each other's tails and then and we cut to bastion we cut to bastion who looks at the front of the book he's reading <laughs> oh my god it's the same symbol <laughs> Uh, can they hear me this fucking kid this fucking kid we can talk about it now if you want to discuss i don't uh... i don't condone violence against children but i want to punch him in the face (laughs) (laughs) talk about now him uh yelling at the book at various times throughout the movie yeah he'll be reading the book and then like he'll like they'll cut to him from the story or whatever and like he'll be talking oh he'll be like screaming at the book Either at the characters or talking to himself. And it's just like, what? Dude, you gotta just read. It's a book. <laughs> but that's impossible. You didn't you didn't uh yell at the book as a as a young child, Brett? 
Be be confident. Run, <laughs> run, like, dude. It's it, it's keep reading, it's you'll find out. Just keep reading. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't change. <laughs> what do I have to do? Oh my god. Yeah. So, and another thing, this kind of this is like one of the first times that they do it is they talk about how uh, um. The Treyu and Artax have been go- going, um, kind of just wandering aimlessly for a couple weeks, and uh, Treyu stops to eat, and uh, it says something like, "Treyu thought it would be a good time to stop to eat, and or it would be a good idea to stop to eat." And, and Bastion goes, "No, that's a great idea." <laughs> and he pulls a sandwich out and takes one bite, but not. Ju- I'm gonna, I'm gonna save it for later. Uh, not too much right now. Just bite for now. <laughs> He's got a we ration. Got long, we got a long way to go. Got a ration for himself. No, that's a great idea. <laughs> he says to himself in the little corn voice possible. <laughs> no, it's a great idea. Uh, no wonder your dad doesn't love you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's just not getting the old job done. That's his problem. He didn't even go out for swim team tryouts. I mean, what the hell? I didn't know they had swim team in like fourth grade. Yeah. That was definitely not a thing in my school. And I was a swimmer. I would know. Uh, so he's basically been everywhere at Treyu. So they decide to, I think, ride what, south to find Marla, the ancient one. Yep. Morla? Is that what it is? Morla. We should mention Gamork, the creature of darkness, is following him this whole mm. time. Yeah. Although, wolf creature. Yeah, he's like the big bad wolf. Although, he doesn't come up till the end, and then at the end, he like forgets who Atreyu is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, wondering. I was like, how does he not know that he's talking to Atreyu? He's been following him for like a month. Yeah, I don't know who did continuity on this movie, but that seems like a continuity error. And he was about an inch away from biting off his foot when Falcor took him into the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he, maybe he only saw him from the back. He looked but... much bigger up close. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. So Atreyu and Artax are going through the... Uh, they're wading through the swamps of sadness, which... Uh, if you let the sadness kind of overtake you, you'll sink and die in these swamps. But yes. whoever whoever wears the Orin is protected. So too bad for our tax. So they drown a horse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very traumatic for a young child. It's, it's very realistic because it like it's it's real thick mud and muck. And this horse just keeps going down deeper and deeper in it, and then like it's it's to the point where only its head is above above uh, the surface. Yeah, and this they horse a, is panicking. Like, yeah, they did panicking. a great job with whoever is training this horse. Horse does not really flinch. I mean, you could tell it's starting to panic because <laughs> they probably put it on a platform, then just lowered it. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But then it's like, geez, I can't believe the horse just did not move. 
fact, I think they did it to two horses, and they claimed that neither one was injured, but uh, I believe Noah Hathaway was. <laughs> yeah, and he's uh, he's yanking on our tax the whole time, and the horse yeah. still didn't move. I don't know if the horse could move, honestly. Like, its legs yeah. were buried in that shit. Yeah. But it's it, this is the scene everybody brings up as, like, the most depressing and sad scene in the history of kids' movies. And it yeah. happens almost immediately. Like it's uh, one of the, it's the first leg of the journey. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. I, d- I think it definitely would have had more of an emotional punch if it happened towards the end. Like, I barely know the horse's guy. name, and <laughs> now it's dead. It's just a horse. Who cares? Well, it doesn't do anything special. But it's white and beautiful. That's about all you know. Of course, you would say something like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Eric's got a biracial kid, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I do. So the uh, Artax is dead. So Trey. Oh, you know, you know who was? Uh, sorry to cut you off. You know who was sad about Artax? Bastion. <laughs> <laughs> sure was. He was crying his eyes out. <laughs> Maybe he, uh, you know, read more of the book that they didn't film. <laughs> Maybe he had more of an emotional connection to Artax. I think he's just soft. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Treo is just kind of wandering through the swamps of sadness. Can't find Morla. Well, he finds uh, Shell Mountain. He's looking for Morla there. Yep. And then it turns out that Shell Mountain, Shell Mountain is Morla. Yeah, it's, it's a giant turtle. Shell Mountain's the shell, and it's so scary that Bastion screams, and then like Atreus like looking up, like what? What the <laughs> fuck was that? And Bastion's like, did they hear me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's uh, this brings us to our next clip. Morla, the ancient one, my favorite character, best part of the movie. More or less hilarious. That's impossible. He couldn't have heard me. Are you Mola? The ancient one? <gasps> Not that it matters. But yes. Please help me, Mola. Do you recognize this? Well... We haven't seen the Orin in a long time. We? Is there someone else here too? We haven't spoken to anyone else for thousands of years. So we started talking to ourselves. Mola, I bring terrible news. Did you know that the Empress is very ill? Not that it matters. But yes, actually, we don't care. If I don't save her, she'll die. There's a terrible nothing sweeping over the land. Don't you care about that? We don't even care. 
Whether or not we care. Do you have a cold? No. We're allergic to you. You know how I can help the Empress, don't you? Not that it matters. But, yes. If you don't tell me and then nothing keeps coming, you'll die too. Both of you. Die? That at least would be something. <gasps> it matters we don't even care if we care <laughs> i gotta save those drops i believe they play the we don't even care a clip on kfan a lot because i know i've heard that clip so many times over the past five ten years and i completely forgot where it was from yeah so when i heard this i started laughing and, God, this turtle is so fucking funny <laughs> God, I can't believe how many times they dropped that kid in the mud. <laughs> yeah. They blew the snot on him and they dropped him in the mud. So, God, he was just covered in it by the end. Turtle is allergic to youth. Yes. Keeps on sneezing. That I think that's the best puppet in the whole movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, they're all really good, but yeah. yeah. This one is, is, is right up there for sure. The Racing Snail is probably my second favorite one. But, the um, racing snail was funny. We kind we kind of glossed over that. Where, like, <laughs> the rock biter is like, "Oh no, we don't have time to wait for your snail." He's like, <laughs> "No, but it's a racing snail," and it just like zooms off. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "We don't even have enough time to wait for a racing snail," and then it just totally surpasses his expectations. <laughs> it's faster than everyone, basically. So. Anyways, Atreyu, he's got to go find the Southern Oracle. Uh, Bastion decides this is a good time to take a break, but then it starts lightning, and he gets really scared by the lightning and other stuff in the attic, and he decides to light some candles. Because he's soft. Atreyu <laughs> <laughs> uh, is kind of dejected and just wandering through the swamps, not knowing what to do, and he kind of just passes out. Probably due to exhaustion, he's about to be eaten or just or killed by the uh, what's the name of the wolf G- again? Gamork. Gamork. 
And uh, but he's saved at the last minute by uh, Falcor, the Luck Dragon, who just kind of swoops down and picks him up. Yes, and flies him nine thousand eight hundred and some miles away. Yeah, nine thousand eight hundred ninety-one miles, and he's got to go ten thousand miles to get to the Southern Oracle. <laughs> so he still has a hundred and nine miles to go. And he stops uh, short outside of. Uh, some... I stop short. <laughs> <laughs> you stop short with my wife. That's my move. <laughs> uh, stop sure. Uh, is that a thing anymore? I can't remember the last time somebody did a quick stop and threw their hand out in front of the passenger. Uh, Michael Orr on the blind side. Like that was a that was a thing that would happen like riding with my grandparents back in the day, but. Like, like, I don't think I've ever seen uh, somebody do that in the last, like, 30 years. You've seen The Blind Side, haven't you? No. Okay. The guy who plays Michael Orr in there does that, too. Well, he does it to, uh, you know, the family he's basically adopted by. Yeah. They have a younger son. Once Michael Orr gets his driver's license, he's driving the little kid around the truck. They're going somewhere. And somebody pulls out in front of him or something. It was somebody else's fault. And they're about to crash and get into an accident. So he pulls out his arms because, you know, he always protects people. That's what he, that's what, that's his job is the left tackle. Yes. Yes. Protects people. Obviously. So he puts out his arm to shield uh, the young boy from, I guess, hitting the airbag or something. But <laughs> I don't know. That's what it's, it's the only time I've seen stop short. <laughs> it's, it's outside of Seinfeld. It's like if you have functioning seat belts, you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure his reflexes weren't faster than, you know, crashing at like 40 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I found out that the uh, the family that took in Michael Orr, the uh, the dad is the local color comment, or he's like the, the lead commentator for the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, really? Yeah, I found that out uh, a few years ago when they were playing the Timberwolves on TV. Like, oh yeah, that guy, he's uh he's the guy that took in Michael Orr and they based the the blind side on him and his wife. <laughs> Played by Tim McGraw in the film. So obviously the movie didn't elaborate on his job very much, if that's the case. But no. He was a man of means, obviously. That they were. Boosters for their favorite college teams. Didn't Michael Orr hate that movie? Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he might have gone to one of their schools that him and Sandra Bullock love. I forget. But anyways, uh, let's not talk about that piece of shit. Let's continue with never-ending story. Is it not Oscar nominated? Come on, Oscar winning with Sandra Bullock. She was she was good in it, you know. But movie's not great. Doesn't doesn't seem it's like too. It. It's just too corny and cheesy. Too it's too white savory for my taste. Yeah. It's the least of its problems. Have you, have you ever? I watched the movie Carbon Copy yesterday. Uh, it was like Denzel Washington's first movie, mm. and uh, he plays the illegitimate son of a a white executive. <laughs> it's basically just like ninety minutes of just casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> was it like the toy or something or? Well, so it's it's George Segal, okay, and uh, he plays 
so Jack Warden is his boss, and he's married to <laughs> Jack Warden's daughter, who's played by Susan St. James. Okay. It starts off with him, with George Seagal trying to have sex with Susan St. James, and like, like she doesn't want to do it, so he like tries to force her to do it, but it's like all played for laughs. Mm. And then, uh, like, you find out that this guy's boss made him change his last name because it's it was too Jewish. And then uh, Denzel shows up and he's like, "Oh yeah, you used to know my mom. Uh, guess what? You're my dad." And so, like, he he accepts him as his son and tries to get like the the wife to agree to adopt him and stuff like that. And basically, the wife leaves him. the The boss fires him and just like everybody's super racist and uh just because this guy is a black son like he he just gets his whole life ruined for it but it's a comedy so it's like i'll play for laughs i don't know it's it's not great but it's uh it's a little interesting to see yeah Uh, sure but i i saw it was directed by the same guy that did cooley high and car wash and um i forgot who that was but he was uh I think he was in my uh, that black exploitation book. Yeah, so like he did a lot of black movies in the seventies and uh, in the eighties. So it was like it was. It's weird that he directed this movie because it's it's kind of a commentary on race relations, but like it doesn't really like give any like uh... Michael Schultz. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, also did Crush Groove, The Last Dragon. He did a bunch of like really good movies, and then Carbon Copy really doesn't give any solutions to the to the problem. <laughs> She's like, all these white people are racist, so what are we gonna do about it? I don't know, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Busting loose, which way is up? Greased lightning. Yeah, I think those are all um, Richard Pryor movies. Yeah. All right. Uh, so where do we get to next? Okay, so they're at they're outside the gnome's house. Falcor kind of has to introduce himself to Bastion <laughs> or to uh, Atreyu after saving him. Yeah, and I gotta I gotta say I thought Falcor the the, the puppet looked fantastic. Oh. Like it's a it's like a legit yeah. like forty foot long puppet with like fully mobile like face and legs and stuff. Yeah, I always forget that. He actually has scales like a dragon. I just remember him just being very furry and fluffy. Yeah. But he has some kind of, you know, multicolored off-white uh, scales. And then there's uh, Peter Griffin living in his <laughs> fantasy world. <laughs> there's there's, family there's two Family Guy clips, two episodes where they do uh, Falcor jokes where he's riding Falcor. I think one's just regular Peter riding him and another one he's a hipster doing it. Yeah, he has, a, he has a man bun. There, there's one where uh, Peter or uh, I forget the setup is like Brian says to Lois, "Like this is like that time we had to say Peter from his fantasy world," <laughs> and uh, it shows him like reading his book in the attic with the blanket <laughs> over his head and the, the candles, <laughs> and then it cuts to him writing Falcor, and he's going, "Yay!" I'm sure his Yay! Uh, his uh, legs or knees were kind of kicking up back and forth as he's reading. Yes, yes. He's laying on his stomach. <laughs> and, and so he's riding in Falcor and he's just going, yay, yay. And then Falcor is just like, 
I'm sorry, Peter. You're too heavy. I can't take the weight. <laughs> and he just like descends and he just like crashes and buries himself in the dirt. And then once they come to a stop, Peter just goes, Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, the other one is uh Peter turns into a millennial. Uh there's a millennial guy who comes oh, that's to, right. to work at his job and he's teaching Peter how to be a millennial and says something like you gotta you gotta be on fleek peter goes would we still say fleek and he's like no that's fleek and it's like uh it looks like falcor but it's like another walk dragon named fleek oh and then he, he jumps on the, the thing and he starts flying around and it's just like him flying by and describing things that millennials care about instead of like important stuff <laughs> uh so uh yeah, maybe we can start to speed along through the rest of this. Because, um, you know, as we said earlier, it's him just, it's Atreyu wandering through Fantasia asking people's advice. Yeah. Next up is uh, Angie Wook, or whatever you say it, and Ergo. Or something, and his, yep. and his wife, a couple of gnomes, and he's teaching them how to get through the uh, the Sphinx. The Sphinx is guarding the Southern Oracle. Yeah. And the Sphinx is, and, man. Uh, the Sphinx has got some tickle bitties. Woo! Just out man. there. Fucking huge tits on those things. <laughs> once once I saw that, I thought, no wonder Eric loved this movie as a kid. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. And it's kind of shocking to see in a kid's movie. I mean, it has the nipples. It goes full Batman and Robin in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're statues, but they're living statues. Mm-hmm. Eyes open, and shoot lasers at people. <laughs> Laser eyes, shoot lasers at unconfident people. Yes, you must know your your own worth to get through. And a uh, a knight in shining armor on his horse did not know his own worth, and he got shot down. Got zapped. Got zapped. <laughs> you got zapped. I'm not JJ, but that was dynamite. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is a part in the story where Bastion yells at the book, "Be confident." Be confident. Be confident. Run a train. <laughs> Be confident. Run. And to which the tree was not at all. He's <laughs> and he just runs through like like. He just has to be faster than the lasers, and yeah, which is I can't believe nobody figured that out. All these people that have tried to get through, especially if they're on horseback, why don't they just ride through? In the middle of the desert, couldn't you just walk around them? Why doesn't Falcor just fly his ass over it? He does after he gets through <laughs> the first, you know, both of them. This move they could have saved a lot of time, and then. uh why? It's, like, it's like Lord of the Rings. Why do they? Why didn't they just, you know, hop on the back of that eagle at the beginning and just fly it all the way to Mordor? Well, Atreyu's dumb because like Engiwook is telling him about how to get to the Southern Oracle, and like he tells him about the first test, and Atreyu just walks away, and he's like, "Wait, I didn't tell you about the second one." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the second one being the magic mirror which is another Chappelle show reference because it's like the camera that shows you true self yeah because that's what you're supposed to see in the mirror your your true self and to which uh, Atreyu sees Bastion yes 
And Bastion's just like, what? <laughs> he like knows my name. <laughs> Him and Jamie would get along yeah. so well. <laughs> it's almost uh, too bad they're like 12 years apart. Yeah, Jing All the Way was 80, 96 and yeah, yeah. never in the story, 84. Because they're about the same age in the movies, but like... The one I know is... for sure that Bastion can read. I don't know about Jake Lloyd. <laughs> well, Jamie, Jamie, he was uh, special. He was. Uh, <laughs> he sure was. <laughs> I think he was on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, but he got the yellow belt. He <laughs> just. But you missed what did you say? What do you? But you that's missed one, blue. That's one away from green. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so uh yeah after he sees his true self then what happens is this when, when they're floating through nothingness this is when bastion freaks out and he throws the book oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> got too real for him what if they really know about me and fantasia and then uh there's more big tittied uh sphinxes <laughs> which is which is the southern oracle it's like heavy metal. It's like heavy <laughs> it metal is. came out what two years before this, I think. Thereabouts, yeah, I think so. Eighty, it was in the early eighties for sure. Eighty-one. So, anyways, the Southern Oracle and all Susan says the Empress needs a new name, but not from somebody from Fantasia. It must be from a human child. And then uh, Bastion goes, "What a shame they don't ask me." She had such a wonderful name. And I want you to remember that for when they actually do ask him because his mother had such a wonderful name and apparently it was Moonchild. (laughs) (laughs) Moonchild. Better or worse than uh, Moon Unit, do you think? I think Moonchild's better. (laughs) Any any name that includes the word unit is probably a... (laughs) Probably a you know, not not very good. Yeah. So Frank Zappa named his daughter Moon Unit Zappa, which I had no idea of this. Uh, I had no idea that he did that until about I'd say I don't know six seven years ago. Because they had that joke in Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, Doctor Evil has his Moon Layer, and there's two bases. Moon unit alpha and moon unit zappa. <laughs> yeah. As you know, I didn't really think of it as a kid. Over your head. And, and then, you know, six, seven years ago, I I don't know, I was reading something about Frank Zappa and then his his daughter Moon Unit. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> moon unit Zappa? What? Yeah, he had uh he had another kid named Dweezel. Dweezel? Dweezel Zappa. Huh. Boy? And then uh yeah, okay. his son. Yep. And then um Ahmed Zappa. He used to frequently appear on VH1 back in the day. I'm sure he did. I wonder how you saw that. <laughs> he was he was on many panels talking about the 100 greatest or I what are the, the chances of you like seeing that? him make his appearance on VH1? It's gotta be slim. <laughs> he was on so many shows. <laughs> so yeah, and then he had another daughter apparently named Diva Zappa. Mm. So he had a, a kind of a unique uh, 
naming convention for his kids. But yeah, Moon Unit was was his first daughter. Well, it's probably still better than Elon and Grimes' kid. I still don't know what the <laughs> fuck that name is. They had to change it because they weren't allowed to have non-English letters like, in it. Like non-letters at all? It's like, yeah. even... like you no know, numbers allowed. Or whatever that AE <laughs> thing is. <laughs> what about seven? <laughs> what about that elfish... <laughs> If you spell out the word seven, it's okay. Yeah, I know. But it's George's George's name he's been saving. Tell his friends took it. The perfect name. <laughs> All my right. mother my mother had such a wonderful name. Moonchild. You should just if I keep repeating that, you should just record him saying that and then just drop it instead of <laughs> just like just well, the, cut the, me the... out. The problem is when he yells "Moonchild," you can't really hear shit. No, I mean when I, when he says, "My mother had such a wonderful oh. name," because <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to repeat that. Well, when he yells it out, like there's lightning crashing, and I couldn't really hear it. You kind of almost need subtitles to hear "Moonchild." Like I hear "Moon," but yeah, I I had to rewind it to put the the captions on because I'm like, what did he say? Did he say Martha? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something. Because that would have been kind of cool. Martha! <laughs> then, then he could be like, I have something in common with Superman and Batman. <laughs> and we can be friends now. <laughs> I like how dumb he is. He's like, what a shame if they don't t- they don't ask me. I was like, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> it's like, where have you been? This is clearly going towards you being the one. Yeah, I guess we kind of skipped over the point where he's uh, he falls off of Falcor, lands in the that deserted city. The nothing is kind of the sea of possibilities. Yeah, the sea of possibilities right next to that town that's being destroyed. Most of Fantasia is already destroyed, and this is kind of the last gasp. Yep. And this is when we uh, come to uh, meet the Rockbiter again. Yeah, he just shows up out of nowhere. Just like he's just there, <laughs> and that's our next clip. They look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that's what they were. Oh. My little friends, the little man with his racing snail, the night hub, even the stupid bat. I couldn't hold on to them. The nothing pulled them right out of my hands. I failed. No, you didn't fail. I'm the one who failed. I was the one chosen to stop the nothing. But I lost the Auron. I can't find my luck drag. So I won't be able to get beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. Listen. The nothing will be here any minute. I will just sit here and let it take me away, too. They look like good 
strong hands, don't they? It's so depressing. Everyone's dying and disappearing. Keeps talking about his hands. They look so strong. <laughs> they look like strong hands, don't they? Sure do. The so the luck dragon Falcor he dives down to the sea of possibilities and finds the Orin because it's fallen off of Treyu. Yeah, Treyu. He lost his Orin and his luck dragon. Mm-hmm. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Wandering through the city, and he all of a sudden sees these murals of him. Yeah, basically like, the previous sixty minutes of the film, like cave paintings of the entire journey, which are yeah. never explained. It's and then it, there. like he's looking at one, and Gamork is kind of in a little hole or a little mini cave like off to cave, the side, yeah. kind of watching everything. And like all the paintings kind of lead up to the current moment. It's like it's like that scene in Spaceballs where they <laughs> get Spaceballs the movie out. <laughs> Everything that's happening now is happening now. Now, that was the, what happened to then, past then, when <laughs> just now. <laughs> and Gamork, as we remember, has been following Atreyu, almost got him like two or three times already, mm-hmm. but he doesn't recognize him standing Somehow. face to face with him. But uh, I guess say the Gamork in the in the cave is uh. Pretty intense for a kid's movie. Yeah. I will say uh, the new Puss in Boots movie, I I don't know if they took direct inspiration from this, but there is a, a, a wolf character in that movie who uh, bears uh, at least a passing resemblance to Gamork okay. in a lot of ways. Um, so I wonder if that was inspired by this. Or if... This was inspired by like every children's property up until this point. You know, it's like we got the Mad Hatter. This takes place in Fantasia, which in the book it's 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 Fantastica. I guess, although I guess I heard that Fantasia was a more apt or uh, more accurate translation. Mm. But just kind of one of the differences. You know, if it's if it's a German book, you would think they would just copy the same name. It's like why do they need to translate the name? Yeah. Unless it's like really German. (laughs) But I would think that Disney would have been on them for copyright infringement. Yeah. Fantasia, Mad Hatter, you know, it's like Alice in Wonderland. They're very, I mean, the story's a little similar and a lot of similar type creatures and Night Hob, short for Hobbit. J.R.R. Tolkien probably, his family probably got pissed. What else? Yeah. Oh, you're still thinking of similarities? Yeah, I'm trying. I don't know. It escaped me at the moment, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just, you know, it seems like kind of an amalgamation of several properties. Well, this is the same year that Purple Rain came out and they threw a woman in a dumpster in that movie, too. <laughs> Are you saying <laughs> that Bastion's a little girl? What did they call that when they... Uh... Like simultaneous inspiration or whatever, whereas like two people come up with the same <laughs> yeah. idea, independent same of time, each other. Yeah, I forget. I think it's <laughs> simultaneous uh, inspiration or something. It's it's something like that. I always forget what the great the minds is. think alike. I tell you, <laughs> it's like that's why you get all these movies that come out with the same theme at the same time. 
It's definitely not like one studio knocking off the other. Oh, when Morris Day has this has this goon throw that lady in the dumpster. <laughs> that's that's one of the funniest moments in 80s cinema, I gotta tell you. She owed him money too, didn't she? Yeah, I left my <laughs> ass off every time they, it's just out of nowhere. They throw her in a dumpster, like not just like kind of toss her. No, they throw her against the top and like it bangs down. And <laughs> it's like Norm MacDonald and Dirty Work. It's so funny. Violence. <laughs> we obviously don't condone violence against women, but that's hilarious. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. You got to qualify it. Yeah. Like, like, like I said, I don't condone violence against children, but I would punch Bastion in the face <laughs> if I had the opportunity. Uh, and he, he kind of is uh, punished in the book. Because in the book, you know, the movie ends with, uh, you know, he goes on many more adventures with Falcor and yeah. happily, happily ever after all that stuff. Well, that happens in the book, except he doesn't realize that any time he goes off on an adventure, he loses a memory. <laughs> so it gets kind of dark in the book because he starts losing all these memories because he goes off on just a hundred hundreds of adventures probably and he's creating creatures and situations and obstacles for him to overcome yeah to kind of be the hero again so he goes out he keeps on doing it over and over and they they, they start to warn him too and it's just just starts erasing his, <laughs> his mind in the mush but uh yeah and then you find out that it was all fake and he just had a, a brain disease this entire time. Maybe that's what happened to Jake Lloyd. She's had a Jake giant the tumor. She's had a tumor growing on his head the whole time. I would say, is, I mean, he does have a pretty good memory because he always knows when Arnold missed, you know, important <laughs> moments in his life up until age oh, 10 or 12 or whatever. Always but, keep your promises. <laughs> He also doesn't recognize his dad when he's just wearing like a hat shield. <laughs> so let me explain why uh, he's a bit of a dullard. <laughs> he was excited for the cat in the hat, though. Sure was. Not Booster, though. Nobody's excited for Booster. Especially that guy that called him the F word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I swear to God, it's real. Look up the clip of, of when Booster gets shoved off the parade float somebody calls him the f word <laughs> yeah all right um so it's gonna wrap this up uh, so uh, gamork lunges at a treyu and a treyu has a rock that gamork lands on <laughs> so he doesn't really have to do much to defeat gamork yeah we have a clip of the uh the whole gamork uh interaction with the with Atreyu before he lunges at him. I don't know if you want to play that. Yeah, sure. Or right now. If you come any closer, I will rip you to shreds. Who are you? I am the morgue. And you, whoever you are, have the honor of being my last victim. I will not die easily. I am a warrior. <laughs> Brave warrior. Then fight for nothing. But I can't! I 
can't get beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. <laughs> What's so funny about that? Fantasia has no boundaries. <laughs> Falcor comes and picks him up and they're basically floating off through nothingness. There's fragments of Fantasia left. That's it. So it's like they're yeah. flying through space. The ivory tower is still intact. So they fly there and uh, Treyu talks to the childlike empress. I do, I do want to mention real quick that uh, some of the stuff Gamora talked about that the, the nothing is the result of people losing hopes and dreams. That's right. And that he's helping the nothing uh, because people with no hope are easy to control. Mm -hmm. And so Bastion is now conflicted because he's got to keep his feet on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see in this, in our last clip here between Atreyu and the childlike Empress, they talk about they need uh, Bastion to give her a new name. If I was a trader, I'd be so pissed. Like, because she's like, I knew all this stuff was going to happen. <laughs> and you didn't have to do it, but you kind of did. you already knew it was the 
the only way to get in touch with an Earthling. But I didn't get in touch with an Earthling! Yes, you did. He has suffered with you. He went through everything you went through. And now, he has come here. With you. He is very close. Listening to every word. We say what? So <laughs> Moonchild is yelled and Fantasia <laughs> <What>? is saved. <laughs> well, first he's gonna go, What? <laughs> what? Oh man. <laughs> he doesn't realize he's part of the never ending story. Just needs to call out the Rumpress's new name. <laughs> Remember, his mother had such a wonderful name. Moonchild. <laughs> he's he's got to get him. It's real dramatic. The lightning, the thunder, gets up, runs to the window, throws it open, just shouts into the night. Must have been a young mother because that's a real hippie name. That's a '60s name. <laughs> I'm gonna name our daughter Moonchild. You think she was like 16 when she had him? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably died during childbirth. That's how she died. <laughs> <laughs> It, you know, uh, Bastion's been in a a nine year long, I guess, arrested development because you just can't get over it. <laughs> but I gotta keep my feet on the ground. Gotta get the old job done. But I can't keep my feet on the ground. <laughs> Stop dreaming about your dead mother. <laughs> Let her go. It's over. It's done with. So then, uh, from there. Uh, they what they grant Bastion a wish, right? Yeah, Bastion and the childlike Empress are like the only ones left, and they're just like in a black void. And she's mm-hmm. like, Here's one grain of sand from Fantasia, it's all that's left. You have to wish it back into existence. And so he wishes all the good characters back. But his first wish, of course, is to write on Falcor. And terrorize the bullies that terrorize him. <laughs> yeah, he's randomly back in the real world, just chasing people on a luck dragon. Flying through Vancouver. <laughs> the bullies jump in the dumpster, gets revenge for before. And then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of fly off into the sunset, and that's, that's about it. Never ending story. Just a banger, the song. Great my score. Mo- my mother had such a wonderful. <laughs> this is basically never-ending story. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get to two. I don't know if I want to watch two on full frame. I need to get. Okay. Although I've all, I've all I've heard is bad things about two. Don't even want to think about three. Because <laughs> three is not even based off. You know, the book was the basis for the first two, and less so the second one. So. The third movie is just probably a complete abomination. Yeah, I don't, the third one had to be straight to home video. It was 94 for the third one? The second one's 1990, so that's six years after the first, which is a little strange because it's kind of a hit. It basically made four times its budget, so 
Well, yeah, it, it became very popular. They recast like everybody in the sequel. Yeah. Jonathan Brandis played Bastion. Everyone was too old by that point. You had to. Jonathan Brandis, who proved that boys are better at sports than girls just a couple years later. Is it? La- ladybugs. Yeah. He was in Sidekicks, too. I was a kid in Sidekicks, right? Yep, and he was... Uh, it was a recent episode of the uh, Men and Movie Cowboys. They did one not too long ago. Yeah, Sidekicks. a few months ago they did that one. He was also a stuttering Bill in the first half of the Tim Curry It miniseries. Oh, yeah, that's right. I only saw that once. I never saw that as a kid, surprisingly. Me either. I watched it a few years ago for the first time, and I thought it sucked. Yeah, everyone was like, oh, you know, it's so scary so when you're a kid. Scary. So well, scary. I'm sure it was, because it fucking sucked as an adult. The uh, the second half is terrible. Like, all the adults they got to play the kids were just, like, awful. Like, even yeah. John Ritter was, was like, You do not it. disgrace John Ritter's name on this podcast. Like, like, even John Ritter was bad in that one. And it's like, oof. There were certain things I like, certain scenes, and Tim Curry was, he was good, I thought, but it just, uh, you, you could tell it was a TV movie. Yeah. TV back, series, if you will. Because back then, like, you had to make it, like, consumable, uh, consumable for all audiences, so, like, they yeah. couldn't do any violence or swearing or anything like that. But, yeah. But, yeah, Jonathan They, they couldn't show, uh, you know what? A nine-person, you know, kitty gangbang. <laughs> thank, thank God they left that out of the remakes too. <laughs> yeah, Oof. they just what? what did, did they do some of the remakes like they all kissed or something? I forget. Kind of. Or did they do like a we're all blood brothers and sisters or something? Did they? Yeah, did they, they share blood. The, yeah, they did the blood brother thing. Yeah, cut their hands and then you know put their hands together. But yet they kill a gay guy and or a gay couple in the second one. It is homophobic. Well, they said that was Hashtag. in the book. Yeah, it seems really out of place doing it in like 2017 in Maine because I like I don't think Maine is uh, really known for homophobia in 2017. <laughs> like, like it would have made more sense if it was set in like 1987. Yeah, like or like when the book was written. <laughs> like I'm sure it made way more sense, but like in modern times, it doesn't really fit. All right, well, I think that about does it. Want to get into fun facts? Sure. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. So this is actually, this is like two facts that are kind of related here. So we got Noah Hathaway was hurt twice during the making of the movie while learning to ride a horse. His horse threw him off, then stepped on him. Mm. Was shooting the droning sequence in the Swamp of Sadness. His leg got caught on the elevator and he was pulled underwater. He was unconscious by the time he was brought to the surface. That's always good. Mm. And then uh, also Noah Hathaway almost lost an eye during the fight scene versus Gamork. One of the claws on on his giant paws poked him in the face. The robot was also so heavy that he lost his breath as well when it, he was hit to the ground by it. He only made one shot due to the risk that he would get seriously wounded. So, yeah, Noah Hathaway really uh, <laughs> had a rough shoot. Here's a fun fact. So here's a little more explanation, as, uh, a little more details on the book. 
The movie only covers the first half of the original novel by Michael Endy. Uh, Bastion reading the book and saving Fantasia for giving Childlike Empress a new name. Therefore, the point at which the movie ends is only the halfway point of the book. Bastion enters into Fantasia to recreate it using Arin. His later coronation as king, a war to topple him, the progressive loss of memory after it, and finally his return to the real world. So, I wonder how much of that is really in the second one. Be mm. interested to uh, revisit that, but yeah, the you know the screenplay had no ending since they only went halfway through, which required Wolfgang Peterson and the production team to come up with a new one. So they decided to end it with Bastion returning to the real world with Falcor and chasing after the three bullies. So <laughs> that's how that came to be. Here's a fun fact: you can ride on Falcor's back on location at the Bavaria Film Park in Munich, Germany. Ooh, I need to hear. Thinking about vacation. Get on a plane to Germany. Hop on that luck dragon. Scratch it behind its ear. (laughs) We didn't really mention that, but it seems like Falcor is orgasming like two, three times in that scene (laughs) when he gets a traitor to itch him. He's he's very belabored in his uh, (laughs) bullet line delivery. <laughs> so he's, he's, it looked like he had the vinegar strokes in his face. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, the makeup team on the movie tried to paint Noah Hathaway green, just as Atreyu is in the book. It wasn't believable. I looked like Fun Guy. Hathaway said. You think the girls would have swooned over a tray if he was green? <laughs> Probably not. Not like today's kids who are super into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. Here's another fun fact. The original Orin for this film now hangs in an enclosed glass display in Steven Spielberg's office. You don't say. Oh, Sammy Fableman. <laughs> In 09, Warner Brothers, the Kennedy Marshall Company, and Leo DiCaprio's Appian Way Productions were in the early stages of creating another adaption of Andy's novel. They intended to examine the more nuanced details of the book rather than remake the original film by Peterson. In 2011, producer Kathleen Kennedy said that problems securing the rights to the story may mean a second adaption is not meant to be. Probably luckily for us. You can imagine all the CGI shit they would put in a remake of this. Mm-hmm. Gross. Speaking of which, I saw that uh, that story about the Universal Studios tweet the other day. Did you see that? Uh, I don't think so. Universal Studios tweeted out, uh, I think it was, it was a clip from The Thing from 82. Uh, one of the transformation scenes. And it said CGI could never. You know, talking about how practical effects... <laughs> especially in The Thing, were incredible and usually Trump CGI. And everyone just responded back with, why the fuck did you take the re- the the prequel sequel in 2011? You know, because they had practical effects for that. And Universal yeah. just said, fuck it, let's, let's put CGI effects over that instead of the practical effects, to which were looked fucking horrible and everyone hated because they, they thought the modern audience couldn't take the practical effects 
<laughs> so they redid everything in CGI and it looked like shit. And it just ruined the director's vision and ruined the movie. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, it's another uh, Siskel and Ebert story. Siskel hated the special effects in the thing because they were too realistic. <laughs> It's grotesque. Uh, it's so grotesque. It's too realistic. <laughs> Why do we even need a remake? This movie came out in 1959. Yeah, <laughs> of course, the, the other endless films that Universal Studios has produced and distributed that have CGI. <laughs> it's like, well, quit using CGI. You know, Universal thought they were so cool and hip, speaking yeah. out in favor of practical effects. Universal. <laughs> Like nobody knows how to do the practical effects anymore. It's like the the guy who made the Terrifier movies is like the only one that is really like good at it. Like you don't hear too much about like younger special effects people doing all that practical stuff anymore. You needed Stan Winston and Tom Savini and those people back in their prime. Rick Baker. Yeah. Jim Henson. You needed all those people in their prime. Now Rick, ba- now Rick Baker just he just makes fat suits now. Rick Baker. <laughs> I think he did the suit for the whale, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's very good at it. He was nominated for an Oscar for Norbit. <laughs> Oscar nominee. <laughs> Oscar nominated film Norbit. They should have won. You've seen that movie. Very realistic. <laughs> Here's a fun, fun fact. When he was cast as a trio, Noah Hathaway's skin was pale white, and he was taken to a tanning salon to darken his skin. <laughs> <laughs> Which would not happen these days. Yeah, I looked up, uh, Noah Hathaway was born in Los Angeles. Like His accent is completely fake. He does not have the same accent in the movie Troll. Oh, here, this is uh, related. It says, uh, during a convention appearance at Dragon Con in 2010, Noah Hathaway revealed they used virtually none of his recorded dialogue and instead hired a different actor to dub his lines. Hathaway's voice is actually rather high and has no accent. Mm. So that wasn't even his voice. Wow. They don't do that anymore. They don't dub over actors' voices anymore. They did it so much in the 80s. I mean, before then too. It's funny, like all the Bond films, of the Bond, the Bond girls, like the first, however many, they're every one of them's dubbed. Yeah, which I, I, it makes sense. Like you want somebody who looks good on camera, and you know if they don't have the voice for the role, just get somebody who does to to do the the uh, the dubbing. Diana Rigg might have been the first one to not have her voice dubbed. And on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I'm not sure, but yep. Um, you know, any more fun facts, or you think that'll do it? Anything else jump out at you? I mean, I think I already had the fun fact of all fun facts with the Joey Kramer hidden cameo. Actually, uh, here's here's one we brought it up earlier. The childlike Empress was just childlike. She has existed for as long as there have been stories to tell. She was portrayed by Iranian-born Israeli-American dancer Tammy Stronick, mm-hmm. who was only 11 years old when the production started. So just because the character is childlike does not mean that it's okay, James Gunn. Another red flag as to why this bookstore owner was reading this book. 
Yes. yes. This book is not for you. This is not a safe book. You cannot tell anybody about it, especially not another adult. Do not tell your teachers or your parents. That I I don't even tell book. them that you met me. <laughs> this is our that'll little con- secret. That'll connect you to the book. This is our little secret. <laughs> I wonder if that guy shows up in the sequels. Yeah. <laughs> I have to revisit it. wonder what his Fantasia looks like. <laughs> yeah (laughs) maybe that was his fantasia maybe he created the fantasia that's in the book and then you know now the bash he's reading a book about himself reading a book and the kid coming into the store and getting that book (laughs) it's like a dream within a dream all right well i think that'll about do it let's uh, rate this thing I saw that you had, you know, you rated on uh, Letterboxd. Yes. Uh, three and a half stars. Three and a half. I think that's an apt rating. I agree with that. I think three and a half stars. You know, there's plenty of plot holes and things that are kind of silly and stupid and maybe don't even hold up much under a, and, an and, adult microscope. But And there's think... way too much Bastion. You know, one, bringing back the Siskel, he said Bastion was better than Atreyu. <laughs> He thought that Bastion was a better performance than Atreyu. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> You're so wrong on all accounts there, yeah. Siskel. Yeah, even with all its faults, uh, the incredible score, the banger of a song, the puppetry, the fantastic elements all combined for a, a great children's movie, I think. Uh, one that I'll revisit again. Go back to uh, Fantasia one of these days. Uh, I'll also give it, you know, three and a half stars and uh, and eventually. Eventually. Yep, I agree. Eventually. Eventually. And uh, you said uh, you already gave away my letterbox rating of 3.5. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Despite its uh, somewhat uh, glaring uh, weaknesses, I guess, <laughs> if you want to call it that. There's, like, there's way too much bastion, but it's fun. It's yeah. fun to watch that kid just like freaking out about the book, you know. Plus, it's a it's a download PSA for reading. <laughs> uh, where can the folks at home find uh, some lovely WTM merchandise? You can go to wtmwatchthismovie.creator-spring.com. And as I mentioned, uh, Brett's Letterbox profile, you can find it and follow him on Letterbox. It's at PositivelyWolf1, which is the same as his Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is watch this underscore movie, but my letterboxed is Eric underscore Mulder. You can email the show at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. And please rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. And I will have you know that we are now on Amazon Music. We were a featured podcast on there the other day. I saw. Took a screenshot. Nice. Yeah. I know everybody uses Amazon Music. I don't know anybody who doesn't. <laughs> Seems like it's not something that podcast users would use for their podcast, but might for as well list- put it on. For listeners. Everything, yeah. <laughs> everything's going to Amazon, so might as well put us on there, huh? The more the merrier. We'll just as many uh, platforms we can get it on is probably for the best. Yeah. All right. Well, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right.
right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case. <sighs> Could you get round and scratch behind my right ear? I could never quite reach it.